Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast. Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie rules and the Mighty Bombers. From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you. Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the pod. pod. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the Essendon People podcast, our review of the game against Port Adelaide in round eight and looking ahead to round nine against Brisbane. So, Brendan, on the Port Adelaide game, wasn't that a way to spoil a Sunday afternoon? <laughs> I was um, started off well, a bit of a so-so middle, and we came home with a bit of a wet sail late just to get uh, pipped at the end. So, lots to talk about. Yeah, that that first quarter, in fairness, like, we, we're going to try not to be too negative. Although the list of the list of bads grew, unfortunately, this week. But uh, we're about to go into the quarter by quarter. But before we do, that first quarter was some of the best footy I've seen us play for a while. Like obviously, the Melbourne game was good, but um, yeah, it was just uh, to the point where you know we we were just dominating centre clearances, and the Port Adelaide crowd at one point actually gave them the the Bronx cheers for for winning a clearance. I think after about eight consecutive. Uh, to the Bombers. So let, let's jump into into the game. So it was Port Adelaide 12 goals, 20-92 to Essendon 13 goals, 9-87. So lost the game by five points. Um, it did break out to about 13 points in, in the late in the last quarter and uh, we sort of got ourselves back into it and just couldn't couldn't generate that uh, what was required to get over the line. So we ended up going down by five points. Yeah, and as you said, uh, had a really good start to the game, the first quarter. Uh, six goals, one thirty-seven to Port Adelaide's three goals, four twenty-two. Both sides had seven scoring shots apiece. We obviously won the quarter by 15 points there. And I guess if anyone's listened to this podcast, conversion with an 85%, which is, uh, was really the tail of the tape early. Mark, you mentioned that it was a lot of good centre clearance work, and I agree with you. I think Draper and Parrish in particular – led the way is the one-two Ruck-Rover combination. But what I also wanted to say was I thought that the pressure was up defensively, the chasing and the racing. Whenever you saw the ball in the contest, there was multiple Essendon players there, and that was reminiscent of the Melbourne game where it seemed we just had an extra player or two at every contest. We really pushed hard and really worked aggressively, and that was really pleasing to see. Yeah, at quarter time, I was nearly ready to sign a petition to relocate us to uh, Adelaide the, after a couple of good performances there. But, um, yeah, you're right. In, in all seriousness, it was there wasn't much we could fault. There was no winning it out of the centre. As you said, tackles, I think that uh, we texted each other at quarter time and said, gee, well, quarter time, 19 tackles. If you keep that up for the game, there's no reason why you can't win this. Like, it's you'd be very hard to stop if you can keep that sort of pressure up. Um, and then, as you said, just the chasing, the things like that, you know, pretty early in the game, we saw flashes of, of Tipper back to his best doing those little things as well. Um, you know, early early in the game, people like Davey were getting involved. Um, we had we had a lot of people putting on pressure and doing the little things. And uh, it was it was a pretty complete round of performance in that first quarter. The second quarter, and I think we sort of tipped this, we, we both texted each other and said they're going to respond and, and it's going to be how we respond to their response, if that makes sense. And then uh, in the second quarter there, they kicked two goals, seven, 19s, had nine scoring shots on goal. 
at a conversion of 22%. We managed to kick three straight at 100% conversion. So again, kudos to the conversion there, uh, really keeping us in the game. So we only lost the quarter by by a point, uh, despite having six less scoring shots, winning at halftime with a lead of 14 points. Uh, no real damage done, despite them, uh, I would say, pretty well dominating that second quarter. So um, the conversion then started to become... Uh, I guess kind of a bit of a storyline in the game for Port Adelaide, but uh, nonetheless, at half time we were hanging in there with a handy two goal lead and ready to reset at half time. Yeah, I think the the big thing that happened in the second quarter was obviously the uh, injury to to Jordan Ridley there. That obviously I think changed the complexion of the game there. Brad Scott in his press conference said it was a oh, one of the few plays that we'd least likely want to lose, and. Um, that should certainly played out there. Just he was playing as a key position defender. All of a sudden, we didn't have that matchup for uh, Marshall. Uh, BZT still doing a pretty decent job at this stage on um, on Big Charlie Dixon. But I guess with the ball coming in, uh, just that extra defender hurt us a little bit, and we couldn't really transition out of the back line. They were they were able to force a turnover through that mid-zone and get repeat entries inside 50 and not having someone who can mark, take an intercept, take a few seconds, get that exit kick, get the ball going, I think really hurt. But, yeah, this was definitely a case of where we probably dropped off a little bit because we were going so well early on, but Paul Adelaide really ramped it up and their bigger-name players in in Butter, Butters, Rosie, even Ollie Wine started to get a, a little bit of it. Uh, Travis Boak, I think they started to influence through voice and through putting their bodies in the right spots to win. They even, if they didn't win the ball, they caused contest and got the ball going, put Adelaide's way. Yeah, then after the main break, I think the third quarter was probably our worst quarter. Um, we had the four shots on goal and kicked two goals too. So we only added 14 points to our total. They had another nine shots on goal and kicked uh, four goals five. So they, although going at 44%, they still won that quarter by 15 points. Went in at the last break leading by a point, which, yeah, is not is not much, but it was more about the momentum that they carried, the pressure that they were applying. We looked really scattered. Uh, we looked like a side that just needed the siren to go, which is not where you want to be kind of leading into the last break. Um, it just, a few times I think we got lucky just with their conversion again. Otherwise it could have been, you know, a much different story at, at three quarter time, similar to what it could have been at halftime. And um, yeah, I just remember sitting there watching the ball just be stuck in our back line and us failing to clear it past half back, let alone halfway point of the ground. Uh, I think from memory, I don't remember who kicked those goals in the third quarter, but from memory, they were fairly sort of fortunate, lucky goals. It, it's, uh, yeah, it might've been, might've been one of the ones where, where Stringer kind of ran down the, down the length of the ground kind of thing. But um, yeah, not, not a great news in the news story there in the third quarter. Yeah. I guess the third was kind of similar trend to the second there, but we talk a lot about having a really strong midfield, and we do. But I think this this game in particular was really representative of the trend that we've discussed on the podcast. That we're really good at centre bounces, but we especially centre bounce clearance, but stoppage clearances around the ground is where we seem to struggle. Right? And obviously, Darcy Parrish, Zach Merritt, Dylan Shield, great centre bounce players there, and we brought Setterfield in as well, which is his strength. We play in Jakey at the centre bounces as well. He's um, 
big, powerful man as well. It's that around-the-ground stuff that we need to kind of work on a little bit more because that's, I think, once we figure out whatever that is that's stopping us from doing that is when we'll start to see big improvements. Yeah, we're just on the last quarter here, um, kind of kicked ourselves out of it, ironically, in the last quarter after being so so accurate for the game. Uh, we kicked two goals, six, 18 in the last quarter there at 25% conversion. They had another seven shots on goal, which was which was kind of worrying. I guess we'll get into all their scoring shots. They kicked three goals, four. So they won the quarter by four points and went on to win the game by five. It was pretty... Um, there were slim hopes at the end there, but I, I got a little bit excited when I saw the ball. You know, Phillips is a pretty good kick. He was a little bit far out, but um, he's always been a pretty accurate kick. And I sort of held a little bit of hope there as it was floating through the air that that it might go through and we might be half a chance with, you know, 30 seconds to go out of the out of the stoppage, but uh, out of the centre clearance. But, um, yeah, not to be. It fell short, didn't actually generate a score. And I think um, they ended up taking the ball and icing the last 30 seconds fairly comfortably at the end of the game, which is a bit disappointing. Uh, but I don't think we were ever... Uh, I think the odds were pretty lucky to get out of that one. So although I think it was um, a little bit flaring at the end, which we'll, we'll get to. Yeah, so just to highlight some real high-level statistics there, uh, disposal-wise, we had essentially the same. Paul A, 361, we had 360. The difference was they kicked, what, 20-odd more times and, and we handballed the same amount. So they had a more kicking game. That's kind of a bit more obvious when you look at the marks. They had 101 marks to our 73. So uh, their kicking and also their ability to intercept off our balls in going inside 50 as well it was a strong feature of their game along with them actually taking marks inside 50. They had 17 marks inside 50 to our 11. Um, 17 is a big number, uh, but I guess that just goes to show that their ability to control the ball through the centre um, kind of got their, gave their forward targets plenty of opportunity to take grabs. So we'll move into the good, bad and ugly. Um, we'll try and punch through this as quickly as we can. We've got a fair list here. So I'll start off with the good. The first quarter we mentioned, finally a good start. We mentioned, I think it was last week, the week before, that there was a bit of a trend that we were having bad starts. So it was good to see that uh, turned around and, and we had probably the best first quarter I've seen us play in a little while. So um, we managed 113 disposals in the first quarter alone and only 247 for the rest of the game in the next three quarters kicked 37 points in that first quarter and only managed 50 points for the for the rest of the game. So you can kind of start to see the weighting of that first quarter that it had. Tackles we mentioned earlier, 20 in the first quarter and only 42 for the rest of the game. So that that's a real pressure indicator that, that unfortunately dropped off. And um, the clearance was 12 in that first quarter versus 24 for the remainder of the game. Inside 50, 17 in the first quarter versus 30 for the rest of the game. So only only 10 a quarter for the for the quarters that followed the, the first break. Uh, hit outs dropped off and the clangers uh, increased as well. So, um, yeah, I, I guess to keep it positive, a really good start in the first quarter. It was really good to watch. I know we were pretty excited texting each other about it. And... Um, it all started in the centre, winning winning uh, the taps, winning the clearances and getting the ball forward and applying pressure. Yeah, and that, that all went to the games of Sam Draper and Andy Phillips there. Drapes had the, the 16 touches, five inside 50s and the 24 hitouts. Um, thought 
the game really ebbed and flowed when Draper was in and out of the ruck. I think when he was in the ruck, particularly against Treacle, uh, we had a real ascendancy and dominance there. And then um, they threw uh, Finlandson in there. And then the matchup, whenever Phillips got in there, I thought was kind of a bit more even and we lost that control. Uh, Phillips still had the 21 hitouts from the nine disposals, but I think it was more what he does in the, the follow-up work, the blocking. He had a nice smother on the boundary there. That's where his value is in the side. Not so much the possessions that he has. It's the contests that he creates and balls he, he brings to ground. So, And, you know, obviously could have had a, um, a goal late as well, but um, that wasn't to be. Uh, of the goal kickers, Mark, we had four players kick two goals each. In Stringer, Wiedemann, Langford and Perkins. Uh, we had young players hitting the scoreboard as well with Perkins, Caldwell, Hobbs and Menzi all kicking a goal. So it was good to see uh, a nice spread of goal kickers and the younger players getting involved. Yeah, that was good to see. And uh, so speaking of younger players as well, Brandon Zerk Thatcher is someone who's had the spotlight on him the last couple of weeks. Um, he's probably had the toughest job in Australia, I'd say almost. Um, that's obviously a bit exaggerated, but he's he's been up against it. And I really liked, as you said, he he probably had the better of Dixon early. There was a point where Dixon kind of got hold of him and then he came back and he kind of probably beat him towards the, the last quarter or so, sort of nulled, nulled his influence. So I think the, the most pleasing thing I, I've seen of, Zerk Thatcher in the last couple of weeks is that even though there's been big forwards that have gotten hold of him at stages in the game or for you know extended periods of the game, if you look at the Geelong game, when he's had his opportunity to back himself and go for something, he still has. And that's a real indication of his confidence remaining high. Um, I think he's just lacking support from you know his mates that are currently out of the side in Laverde and then Ridley obviously went out of that game. And um, it's just a unfortunate circumstance of kind of the structure that's happened. But I think he realises that and he's still backing himself in when he has the opportunity. So I think these potentially are some of the most valuable games of BZT's short career at the moment for development. Yeah. Langford uh, was really good both forward and back, was looking very dangerous early forward and obviously had to go back to cover the Ridley absence. But two goals won, nine score involvements, Five rebound, 50s and 10 marks. Kind of really did it all over the ground. Yeah, we'll move on to Jake Stringer. He, he had another good game. So good to see him back it up a couple of weeks in a row. Played that sort of centre bounce and then uh, drift back forward roll. Uh, he had the out end disposals, kicked two goals, one. Kicked some really kind of crucial goals as well out of those two, uh, which tried to get us going. At the four inside 50s, uh, six clearance and eight score involvements. Yeah, and then we'll move on to, to Tipper. As you said, Mark, starting to really show some some good signs in his game. Uh, a couple of kicks across ground will show you that his skills were up. And when he didn't have the ball, uh, his pressure was certainly there, particularly early there. Uh, went at 85% from the 13 disposals. Kicked the goal, four tackles. I think he just needs more run into his legs and he's starting to build in the games and we'll start to get more four-quarter performances as the, as the season goes on. Yeah, I just mentioned Andy McGrath. Good run and drive there at half back. Um, I guess some people have been pretty critical of McGrath with his disposal and everything. He went at nearly eighty percent efficiency, so there's probably not much more we can ask for there. Um, and again, they were kind of, you know, apart from that first quarter, they really got hold of us in that game and had a lot of inside fifties and a lot of ball going forward. So uh, the likes of Andy McGrath and then um, Dyson Heppel's the other one to mention. 
Um, came back after sort of the, the week off and played some pretty good footy, went at nearly 90% efficiency and um, took a couple of, of good inset marks and, and the like as well. So uh, those guys are hanging in there um, despite a couple of tough weeks. So hopefully they get a bit more of a reprieve um, coming up where they're not under the pump as much and, and can kind of do their usual thing. Yeah, so we'll move on to the bads here. Uh, I think we kind of talked to it a little bit earlier, but smashing inside 50s. We were down by 18 across the game, beaten scoring shots down by 10. As we mentioned earlier, conversion, they converted at 37% for the day. They kicked 20 behind. So if you say they half, you know, half that again, so they only kicked 10 behinds, that means it's a 10-goal loss, essentially. So very lucky for the margin to be what it was. Uh, but that was probably at the tail of the day. Yeah, so it was, I guess we sort of talked about, you know, it could be vastly different and, and kind of the attitude to this game could be, but uh, thankfully thankfully it's not. We'll move on to the turnovers. They killed us, which has been the theme for probably moving into its third week now. I think that that really started at the tail end of the Anzac Day game and definitely appeared in the Geelong game and again in this game against Port. So there was eight players that had five or more turnovers, 10 players with a disposal efficiency of less than 70%, and five of those were under 60%. So we had 72 turnovers for the game compared to Port's 59, and then Clangers, we had 56 compared to their 48. So quite a disparity there in the numbers. And I guess a lot of them appear simple skill, you know, skill errors, just handballs, not hitting targets, and um, kind of a bit of panic sets in as well around halfback where it's really damaging that you turn it over. So... Um, yeah, just need to sharpen up a bit there. And I think it largely just comes with confidence. Like these guys are obviously skilled and, you know, they've made the AFL list for a reason. So I think it's just a confidence thing. You know, a couple of these close games, if they're wins, who knows which way that this whole uh, thing kind of would have gone direction-wise. But um, just need to tidy up a little bit. Yeah, and then just we'll touch on a couple of opposition players and kind of the categories that they fall into is similar to what it was the week before against Geelong. So uh, their star players in Rosie and Butters really hurt us. Rosie had 29, uh, five marks, five inside 50s and a goal. Butters had 28, had five marks himself, six clearances. Uh, So they're obviously the stars. Uh, a A player that hurt us and has a history of hurting us is Dan Houston, 25 disposal, seven inside 50s. Five score involvements. I thought he was pretty, pretty good for Port Adelaide. And then again, younger players kind of having breakout games against us in in Miles Bergman with the ten disposals, fifteen disposals, sorry, ten intercepts, and Dylan Williams twenty four disposals and eight marks. It's just a every week we get beaten by the good players, we're getting beaten by the unnamed players, and there's always one guy that beats us all, <laughs> beats us always, and he has a good day as well. So uh, we've got a couple of players in the side that can maybe do some more run-with roles, or we can look to kind of do something defensively to stop them having such a big impact because, yeah, it's, it's just, like I said, same trends every week, it's just different players. Move on to the ugly. The only one we've got here is the Jordan, Jordan Ridley concussion. So thankfully he doesn't have a broken jaw, uh, but obviously he was a massive out and really unbalanced the side when he went out. Um, I guess I, I'm not probably not going to comment too much on Junior Rioli and that side of it because it doesn't really 
affect us now moving forward. But um, uh, yeah, the more I saw it, the more I saw the replays. Originally, I just thought it was a bit of incidental contact, and it may very well have been. But it's looking less like that and pretty careless. So I'm sure that he'll get whatever punishment comes his way. I will say, I think Port Adelaide put out a press release saying that Junior Rioli copped a bit of um, feedback that was unwarranted. I think it was some some racial uh, things went his way. That's just not on. Uh, obviously, he's gone to the tribunal. He's potentially facing a three-match sanction. You know, as we can say, you're not happy that one of our key players got whacked and, you know, you want to voice your displeasure, that's fair enough. But to target someone based upon their race is just totally unacceptable. It's unacceptable now. It's unacceptable in the past. And for anybody that's doing it, you've got to pull your head in and, you know, have a real hard think about what you're doing in your life. Agreed. Now let's move on to the Heath Hocking medal. Uh, I'll let you start with your votes, Brendan. I think I've gone first the last couple of weeks, so you you go and read yours out first. Uh, five votes to Kyle Langford, four votes to Jake Stringer, three to Andy McGrath, two to Parrish, and one to Merritt. Very similar votes this week. I've gone five to Langford as well, four to Stringer as well. I've gone my three to Zachy Merritt, my two I've given to Darcy Parrish, same as you. And my one I gave to Tipper. So let's take a break and let's come back to talk about some VFL. So the VFL this week was Essendon 8 goals 5, 53 to Werribee 10 goals 11, 71. And Brendan, it was appeared that it was pretty similar to the AFL game where we jumped out to an early lead. We kicked three goals, four to nothing in the first quarter, failed to score in the second quarter, and they completely outscored us and led by a couple of goals at half time, and just weren't able to, to arrest that momentum from them. And they ended up uh, going on to win reasonably comfortably in the end. Yeah, they uh, beat us in pretty much all the key indicators there. I think the ones that really stand out, uh, the um, uh, the tackles we had seventy nine. They had ninety five, and the uh, inside fifties we had thirty five. They had fifty seven. The only real advantage we had in the game was in the hitouts with obviously Nick Bryan dominating once again, fifty six hitouts to twenty five. So um, yeah, it was interesting to uh, to watch that one back on replay. Yeah, so there was twelve. AFL players uh, playing in this game. So Will Snelling had the 19 disposals, five marks and 10 tackles. Lewis Hayes had 14 disposals, three marks. Nick Bryan, 14 disposals, uh, seven tackles and 46 hitouts, which is pretty handy. Uh, Kane Baldwin, or Bladwin, as they call him on the VFL commentary from a few weeks ago, uh, he had the 19 disposals, seven marks and kicked two goals, three as well. So um, I, I didn't actually really catch any of this game, Brendan, because it was played at similar time to what the AFL game was. Have you heard any news on whether Baldwin played forward, back, or a bit of both? I believe he started down back, and then I think he was thrown forward in the in the third quarter. I haven't watched it myself either, only seen the highlights on the club website, but I do believe he started down back and then was pushed forward later in the game. Uh, Alistair Lord had 11 touches. Uh, Zach Ray, eight disposals, three marks. Um, I think went off early with an with a hamstring injury. Was seen uh, wearing a compression garment on the hamstring there, and the clip going around on social media shows him kind of 
trailing in on the contest and then pulling up straight away. He has the one, you know, that one-two hop when you're trying to slow down. It looks like he's definitely done done a hammy there. Uh, Rep Montgomery had a really good day, 24 disposals and 11 marks. I think he's edging closer to an inclusion in the senior side. Paddy Voss, 10 disposals, one goal, six tackles. Tex Wanganeen is kind of coming to some form the past couple of weeks. Uh, 10 disposals, uh, sorry, 15 disposals, three marks, two goals, and the five tackles. I thought that's uh, probably his best game for the year. Uh, Keane McBride, five disposals, three marks. Massimo, 24 disposals and nine marks. And Anthony Mankara with the three disposals and two tackles. So that leaves us 15th on the ladder after six games, two wins, four losses, a percentage of 100%, which you don't often see when you're sitting 15th on the ladder. And uh, next game is round eight uh, on Sunday at Brighton Homes Arena versus the Brisbane Lions at five minutes past 12. So um, good opportunity there to actually watch a full game of, of VFL because we play on the Saturday night. But it's Yeah, so, so, that, so that game's in Queensland there against Brisbane. So all our... Uh, all our Queensland fans, you could probably do the double, do the uh, the AFL and the VFL if that works out for you. So onto the VFLW, Essendon won two goals, eight twenty against the Southern States, one goal to eight. Uh, the leading disposal getters was Amelia Radford with twenty five and twelve tackles. Thank you very much, uh, Stephanie Wales with the nineteen disposals and thirty hitouts. Georgia Clark with the 16 disposals and four marks, and Sophie Vanderhoel uh, with the 14 disposals and three tackles. I believe that's Sophie's first game for the year. I think obviously an AFLW player, so just trying to get some preseason games under the legs in the in the VFLW. The goal kickers were Olivia Manfrey and Maddie Wilson, and that leaves the VFLW team fifth on the ladder after playing seven games with four wins and three losses and the one draw, 81.5%. They play at Box City Oval against the Box Hill Hawks on Saturday at midday. Okay, let's take our last break, Brendan, and uh, bring it home with a review for the game against the Lions. So round nine versus the Brisbane Lions is on Saturday night at the Gabba. So as you said before, for the VFL, for all the um, Bomber faithful up in Queensland, good opportunity for them to see the game live. And for the rest of us, good opportunity to sit on the couch and watch us in a bit of primetime action. Yeah, it should be good Saturday night. Hopefully the uh, the weather holds up. I think uh, this time last year we were underwater up at, uh, up at Brisbane against the Lions. So hopefully... Um, that's not the same. So we'll start with the injuries to the Bombers. It's uh, It was getting smaller there for a week or two. And now it's, it's blown back out there, Mark. So obviously Ridley, with the concussion, he's going to miss the mandatory one week. Uh, during the week, we had some bad news with uh, Harry Jones with a back. Uh, he There's been no time frame on that, but there's talk potential stress fracture, which is not good. He's obviously had a... Um, number of injuries so far in his young career. And then Zach Reed again, doing the hamstring, coming back from his own back complaint. Uh, again, no time frame provided as yet. Uh, Guelphie is two weeks away with that hammy tendon. I imagine, Mark, considering he's probably missed eight weeks, ten weeks, whatever it's been, he's probably going to need a week or two in the VFL just to, 
test it out and um, get some match fitness in. Coxie, three weeks with a back. Uh, Sardis with his knee, still a month away. Lav with a shoulder, five to six. And then we're into the long-termers in Stewart. We're not quite sure what's going on there. Would like a bit more of an update from the club if possible. There, there was an update from um, when Josh Marnie did a bit of a report. And he, he said that, yeah, he had the, had the foot injury and that he's had another injury or injuries kind of on top of that that, that were kind of separate but perhaps related. I can't remember the wording. But, um, yeah, there was a small segment from Josh Marnie where he was kind of covering um, some club news and stuff. And he did mention James Stewart. I guess we would love to see a video, a photo, something of James Stewart, hopefully with a smile on his face and still getting amongst things and um, and still down at the club. So, yeah, be good good to see that, that Stu's in good spirits, at least despite being, you know, on the sidelines for a long time. Uh, just some more accurate reporting there with his injury. It's been three months and we, we can't even get a time frame. Like, And it's been three months and now we're finding out he's had injury upon injury, you know. Every week they're supposed to put out an injury report and to not have a time frame, right? Even if you come out and say there's an indeterminate time frame, like Peter, when he first did his shoulder, like would you have, we'll talk on, it was always like we didn't know what it was for a couple of weeks was that. Then it was all of a sudden, boom, 16 weeks. And it's like, okay, so have a bit of an idea. But to be listing someone as TBC for three months, right? It's like, what, what's going on? It's just like, all right. So, right, with his shoulder, 10 weeks and then, Davey with his knees out for the season, Mark. But just back on uh, what you said there about James Stewart and the time frame, because it, it, it not only relates to just knowing how that individual is and caring for them as a person and as an Essendon person, but then also, I guess, fans then start to become interested in what are we going to be doing around mid-season draft? Is Stewart going to be back? We're going to need someone in the back line. It's, if it's not him, do we place him on the inactive list and go for someone in the mid-season draft? So, you know, supporters and fans and and that are genuinely interested not only first and foremost in the the health of the person and the well-being of the person that we that we haven't really had an update on, but then you know how that then affects our passion and for the club and for things that we that we look at next and moving forward. So um, yeah, I guess first and foremost, hopefully uh, Jimmy Stewart's all right. Well, yes, and that's that's our main thing is we want to know how he's going, and you know, a, you know, a throwaway. 10 second comment one time in three months isn't really <laughs> good enough. Right. And I'm like, like in other sports in, in America, and I, I am distasteful of kind of linking things to America, but they have a, every club daily has to issue an injury report to the league and to the competition. And if there's any movement at all daily, they have to flag and highlight this. And I'm not asking for that. I think that's ridiculously onerous. Right, and I think if we ever got to that stage, we've jumped the shark. What I'm saying is, once a week, can you at least address the blokes that are on the injury list, and especially the long-term guys? How's he going? Once a week, can provide a time. If they can't figure out in three months how long his injury might be, then what chance does the bloke have? You might as well sign a ten-year deal because what's what's going on? It's probably the same for, you know, Jaden Davey. We're all aware that he's coming back from a knee reconstruction. That's probably, it's probably been 12 months, but, you know, we know that it was his second knee and they're probably going to take a conservative approach. He's a young player and 
the way that he plays the game relies heavily on his agility and things like that. So I completely understand that he's out for the season and they've, they've always said that from the get-go. But just because he's out for the season, it doesn't mean we lose interest in how he's going. Like, you know, is he integrating into a different form of training now, right? You know, we've seen vision footage of him, you know, running laps and things like that. But, you know, I personally want to know that poor Jaden's not just been left to run circles around at the hangout. Like, I want to know that he's been you know, getting involved in um, in maybe some skill work or something like that, progressing, you know. I know that they can't say too much because they can't. They don't want to give away all their secrets and things like that sometimes. But it would also be good to know, you know, what he's doing and what he's building towards and what the plan is and is he going to be right to go for, for scratch matches in pre-season next year or or is it something at the tail end of this year that's, that's more like a match simulation at training? Just things like that would be a nice little update just to know that the guys are going all right. But... I'm not to round this point home, but I'm going to do it. Um, Jaden Davey, we knew from the start of the year, was placed on the inactive list. I think from the moment he was drafted, he was placed on the inactive list, and that's how we were able to get Mankara onto the list in the first place. So we knew from the outset he was missing for a season with a knee. <laughs> At the start of the year, it was James Stewart plantar fascia, then it moved to foot. <laughs> Actually, it went... It went from specific to general, and then all of a sudden, no time frame. How can you not have a time frame in three months? Now, I'm not saying I'm going to hold you to that time frame, but, geez, when the time frame changes, hey, it was a plantar fascia. He rolled his ankle in training, or this happened. This is going to extend it for a couple of weeks. We're just monitoring the situation. To have no communication but for <laughs> once in round seven, <laughs> and it was a, a throwaway comment at that. It's just like... Do better, boys. Brisbane's injury list, uh, fortunately for them, is a lot shorter. So Daniel Rich, who's torn us up in the past, he's got a calf injury. He's out for a few weeks, so he won't be bothering us this year. Dane Zorko trained today, apparently, uh, which is early in the week at time recording with a hamstring injury. But I'd be surprised if they risked him for this game. Darcy Gardner uh, is a test and uh, Carter Michael is a test as well. And that's, that's the extent of their injury list is, is four names. So uh, they're in a lot better health than we are. Yeah, so we'll just move on to their potentially selected 22. So we'll start with the back line. Uh, Connor McKenna, Harris Andrews, Braden Starchevich, Ryan Lester, Jack Payne, and Keaton Coleman. So obviously all Bonds fans will know about what Connor McKenna will provide. Harris Andrews is an All-Australian player from a couple of years ago, coming back in some good form. Keegan Coleman is going to provide a lot of run and carry, and he's going to be particularly important given that Rich with his kicking is not going to be there, so he's going to be the main driver out of that back line. But I wanted to talk about Jack Payne, probably a name that's probably been unheard of by most Bombers fans. He's probably their young, up-and-coming key defender there. With Marcus Adams out with concussion there, he's slotted straight into that centre-half back role. He's a big, strong lad. And he's been playing really, really well. I think uh, his performance this year has allowed Andrews to sag off a little bit, not having to play such a shutdown role, and get back to his more natural intercept, kind of taking a few more liberties on his offender to chop out and help. So pain, his role is one that we'll have to watch out for. We'll go through their uh, centre line there and, and the on-ballers. So on the wings, we've got Will Ashcroft and Devin Robertson. In the centre, Josh Dunkley, and uh, on in the ruck there, Josh, uh, sorry, Oscar McInerney, and then followers Hugh McCluggage and Lockie Neal. So that's 
it's just littered with talent that 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 list of names there. So um, from experienced talent to young superstar sort of up and coming talent as well. So um, it's going to take some stopping. Thankfully, we have probably one of our strengths, you know, in terms of health and, and position wise this year is our midfield depth. So could be some interesting uh, matchups there, which we'll go through a bit later. Yeah, uh, the Brisbane forward line, uh, Charlie Cameron, Eric Hipwood, Zach Bailey, Lincoln McCarthy, Joe Danaher, Jack Gunston. Um, <laughs> where do I start with that, Mark? I think Hipwood's probably the worst player of that lot and and we'd be killing ourselves to get a big key forward. So <laughs> they are really – Cameron and McCarthy are two very, very good players, have cut us up in the past. Zach Bailey – as well, pushes into the midfield, pushes onto that wing, and he's a dangerous player, kicking ball inside 50. Jack Gunston's a star, and then obviously big Joey Danaher will be uh, setting himself for us, I would imagine. That takes us to their interchange, which is uh, we've listed as Darcy Fort, Cam Rayner, Jared Berry, and Darcy Wilmont, and uh, we've got Jared Lyons here as, as the sub, so... Um, yeah, some pretty when you've got people like Cam Rayner sitting on the bench, it's pretty pretty handy depth. Yeah, Jared Berry as well, real in and under piece. I think the interesting thing for this week, Mark, I think, and we're forecasting a bit by including Fort on the bench there, is they have an ability to go with the two Ruckman. So that's normally our advantage with, with Draper and uh, Phillips. But McInerney is obviously their number one Ruck. Fort, they could bring in. He normally plays that forward ruck kind of. He's the guy that comes in when they have an injury. But obviously with um, Danaher in there as well, uh, I would think that they would look to stretch us uh, by playing Danaher and Hipwood as permanent forwards, uh, bringing Fort in to be the additional ruckman and then getting you know the mismatch with Gunston, I would imagine. I think that's probably going to be their strategy going forward. And then all our focus is going to be on how do we stop the tolls? How do we stop the tolls? And that's when um, Cameron, Bailey and McCarthy look to feast. So let's go through some matchups now. We know that the, you know, their forwards pretty tall. Our back line's a bit depleted at the moment with uh, Ridley and Laverde out of the side. So um, maybe let's start there with he who shall not be named, uh, Joe, Joe Danner. We, I think we've said a few times on this podcast that we wouldn't mention him again, but he's still playing. So I've got to mention him a couple of times a year when we play against him. So um, he's, in all fairness, he's been in some pretty good form last year and the start of this year. Um, he's much the same as when he was at his best with us. You know, he's, his best is really good and he can do some really spectacular things and kick some special goals, but uh, he's also you know, pretty wayward at times as well. But uh, I think the the key message here is that he's he's a strong mark. He's pretty athletic. He's mobile. He gets around the ground. Um, and I guess Brandon Zerk Thatcher, again, he's going to have a difficult job, unfortunately, for BZT. But I think he's up for it. Yeah, this is the classic of the best defender on the best forward. I think, especially considering the lack of support that we've got <laughs> at the moment through injury, <laughs> Uh, this is the matchup for BZT. You probably say maybe he's he's might be a bit a bit better matchup for Hipwood, for instance. But um, he's the only option that would go to Danaher. That's listed. This is another case to pump my boy up, Jaden Laverde. Uh, Lav's had a really good record on Danaher because whilst he gives up considerable height to Danaher and potentially athleticism, Laverde is a great reader of the play. 
and he's a great user of the body. So he's one that really knows how to to nudge you under the ball in the contest. So um, that's how he's beaten Danaher, and he's beaten him pretty comprehensively in the past in doing that. So BZT doesn't look like engaged the body. Uh, he likes to come in a bit late and get that spoil in, kind of like Dustin Fletcher used to. But um, that might not be the matchup this week, considering Joe's height, reach, and then if he gets off the ground, he's, that's going to be really hard to do. So he might have to uh, look to and actually gauge the body a little bit more this week, BZT, and kind of push him under the ball into the contest, kind of make the opportunities that he has to have a clear run of the ball not there. Uh, the other matchup is obviously Eric Hipwood, um, key forward. I guess we're kind of projecting about who our inclusions will be, but with Zach Reed injured, Ridley not there, uh, I think we'll have to bring somebody in. I think it's either going to be Kane Baldwin or Rhett Montgomery. Uh, I think just saying that with Rhett, obviously a more senior player, not as tall, but strong overhead. And then Baldwin obviously started the year strongly in the VFL as a key position defender, so they'd be some potential options for us to bring in to play key defence. The other one that's sort of a tall forward is Jack Gunston. Uh, he's pretty deadly if he gets the ball. I talked about Danaher being a bit wayward. If if Gunston gets four or five opportunities a game, he's probably going to kick four or five goals, uh, you know, or at least three. He's, he's pretty deadly. So um, Mason Redmond we've listed as, as the guy to go with him. I guess Gunston, you know, not an overly you know, strongly built, muscular sort of player, but relies on his athleticism. And he's just footy IQ as well. Knows where to lead, knows where to get, knows when to call for it, when to not, when to sag off, when to when to go hard. So uh, Mason Redman got pretty good footy IQ of his own and can maybe make him a little bit accountable uh, up the ground as well. And this is where the Ridley out hurts because I think that's the natural matchup. Ridley had to shift across because Laverde's not there. And all of a sudden, both Laverde and Ridley aren't there. You're asking Mason to play maybe a bit more of a defensive role. He's been really attacking this year. It's been really great getting up the ground. But if he plays like that on um, on Gunston, I can see Gunston kind of getting at the back. He's a very smart operator and he's an excellent shot for goal. He won't need too many to, to put us to the sword. So he's going to have to play maybe a bit more a tighter defensive game. Uh, moving on to their midfield, uh, Jared Berry, big, strong inside mid, has uh, beaten us up in the past. I think Jake Stringer is the matchup there. Uh, McCluggage and Neil are the other two real big names. Uh, so Corwell, I think, maybe going to McCluggage just because he can run. I know Corwell's gone to Lockie Neil in the past and had a good effect, but I, I really just want to see this matchup in Neil versus Merritt. I think they're both similar players, both leaders of their club. Um, I think Merritt at his best is every bit as good a player as Lockie Neal. And I just love to see that as a old school superstar V superstar matchup. The other one is Josh Dunkley, who um, Essendon fans might remember, uh, asked for a trade for, for us, but uh, that didn't work out. So he's a pretty good ball winner in there. He's quite tall as well. Um, good user of the ball. Dylan Shield is perhaps a, a good matchup there. So uh, similar maybe in the way that they play, that they're kind of, you know, ball winning uh, players who like to, to carry it a little bit and then use it as well. So um, that's the likely matchup for that one, I think. Yeah. And then finally, we'll just touch on the, the two real dangerous small forwards in Lincoln McCarthy and Charlie Cameron. Uh I think this matchup could go either way, Mark. I think 
McGrath to McCarthy just because I think McCarthy's really dangerous um, in kind of that hit-up zone. And I think Andy's pace to go with him will uh, will help. And with Kelly on Cameron, uh, you wouldn't think it's the obvious matchup, but Charlie Cameron's very good overhead and he likes to impose himself physically. He likes to engage the body early to get separation when he does go to those ones over the back. It's often because he works his opponent over physically, creates the space, and then can explode. So Jake Kelly, I think, can take him in the air. And I think Kelly's strong enough physically to not let that engagement happen. But if, if Cameron does create a bit of space, I think that's where Kelly's in trouble. <laughs> so if it happens a couple of times, I think that's when the switch to McGrath who's probably maybe got a bit more pace and that ex- that first two, three steps won't be able to get as far away from. But that's that's how I would probably start it and see how it goes. Charlie Cameron has kicked 23 goals in the last five games. So he's, uh, he's in some form. And I think if we can stop him, that goes a long way to, to our chances in this game. So potential changes for the game. Start with the obvious one. Jordan Ridley is definitely out with concussion. You mentioned Rhett Montgomery. Uh, coming in, I think it would have been Reed, as you said, except he'd done his hammy, and um, Rhett, I guess, had a had a pretty good game on the weekend. Had I think the twenty four disposals. He's played good, to be honest, in in all BFL games from that I've sort of followed this year. Um, he's comes from the Sample and the VFL, uh, so he hasn't played at AFL level before, but he is used to playing against you know senior senior bodies and mature bodies. He's only 22 years old, 190 centimetres and 88 kilos. So he'd be able to sort of hold his own uh, a little bit. You know, maybe not the tallest of players, but uh, I think he's got, you know, enough footy smarts as has played against senior bodies and stuff before. So I think it's time to reward to reward Rhett and give him a game. And it'll be a pretty big game, a pretty big job. So we'll find out pretty quickly um, how he adapts. Yeah. So the next one is obviously Sam Duran comes in from suspension it's a pretty easy inclusion. He's the best day in player, does a, uh, I guess Nick Hine is probably the one that falls out of the side. Um, didn't really have any impact last week. Um, senior player. So I think it's now time where he needs to perform. You know, we've got a, some younger players like Davey and Menzi who you can afford to give a couple of games to, you know, where they're not you know, hitting the scoreboard or they're not impacting as much as they like. But I think he's, 27, 28 there, Hind. So you, if you're on the fringes, you really need to come in to perform to hold your spot. Otherwise, you give selectors an opportunity to drop you and bring in someone who is best 18. So Durham in, Hind out. Yeah, you just mentioned uh, Elwyn Davey and Joe Menzi, and I'll group them together um, given that they're both small forwards. We've been playing with three small forwards um, you know, over the last week there with Tipper, Davey Menzi. Tipper played well, so I think he, he retains his spot. He'd done everything he needed to do. Davey and Menzi were pretty quiet. Um, Menzi had just three touches in, in a half there and uh, just might benefit him going back for a block in the VFL. Similar to Davey, I think he started really well this year. We managed him, um, I think, the week of Anzac Day and then brought him back. He, he couldn't sort of get into the game against Shalong and struggled to get into the game against Port as well. Um, which is fine. He's a he's a first year player. He's still finding his feet. So I think it would benefit him as well to to get a few weeks in the VFL and to kind of you know get get up to a to a level that 
you know, he might not be able to do at AFL yet, but to get that experience. Um, I guess who comes in? So, as I said, we've been playing with three small forwards. Maybe it's time to change the structure a little bit and bring in another key position forward to help Sammy Wiedemann out a bit. He's been doing a good job, but could probably do with the chop out. Um, we've been using the rucks for that, but maybe we maybe we try and change things a little bit. And that's Kane Baldwin. Um, we mentioned that he kicked a couple of goals on the weekend in the VFL. He's been playing pretty well, taking marks. Minus that couple of weeks where he had that concussion, he's been really solid. And uh, it gives us the versatility as well that if we do need to swing him back, it gives us an option on the day. And then Will Snelling had the 10 tackles in the VFL, you know, got a stack of the ball. Uh, I think he's, you know, deserving to come back in. I think, again, just a simple reward reward the effort, give the other guy a rest and reward the effort, bring Snelling in. Senior player, been around for a little bit now, um, seen as a bit of a leader around the club as well, uh, behind closed doors from what I hear. And um, could do with that experience against a pretty pretty tough opposition on the weekend. Yeah, and the final one is obviously the one I guess we have every week. There is uh, is Nick Bryan there again had a really good game with VFL. I think it's time to start rewarding some of the performances that he's had down there. Uh, I think with Oscar McInerney being a really tall tap ruckman, I think that's a good matchup for Bryan because they're similar types. Uh, that allows Draper to kind of maybe. Get get on top of a a Danaher if they throw him into a, into the ruck, or if they bring in Fort there, or they potentially we play three ruckmen and, and you know Draper plays as the full Fort and Brian and Phillips do the ruck work. So there's options there. Could could they bring Nick Bryan in and play him at centre half back? I know in the hub there in 2020 up on the Gold Coast he played as a key defender in a couple of those games. Now they were glorified training drill, so probably not great form to track on, but he has got a fair bit of mobility there, so it's just about it's just the injuries to the back line in Laverde and Ridley is really, and in the forward line with Peter Wright, there's a, a hole in the side at either end for someone who's a legitimate key position player, so just trying to fill a few holes and then hopefully um, that allows players to play their best positions instead of having to play roles that they're not best suited to. Now, now we know that there'll be definitely, you know, one to two changes, Durham in, Ridley out, and, you know, they're not like for like, so they're they're ultimately going to be two changes there. We've listed five changes, which is a lot. It's nearly a quarter of the side. But uh, I guess there's merit in all of those changes. Um, Could you see them potentially making up to five changes? Normally you would see that when it's a bit of a statement, you've been kind of flogged and you you need to send a message. Um, I think there is merit in all of these though that we've listed and there's there's reasons, but I, I could see maybe that they wouldn't swap out the two small forwards and that they'd back them in for another week maybe. Well, yeah, I we when we do these ins and outs, we're obviously making these calls on Tuesday night. <laughs> so whenever and we're not saying this is what you should do. What we're saying is these are things for the coaches to consider and these are potential options. So it's unlikely, as you said, you're going to make five changes. I can see Davey staying in, in particular, if he's playing at half forward. Keaton Coleman is obviously a, finds a lot of the ball, is a really strong runner and really pacey. So that might be, you might ask him to play a bit more of a defensive role, and that's a job that he could do. Nick Hine, with his with his run from half back, that's something we might need to have in the side, especially if they decide to play Redmond as a more shutdown player. Um, we'll need that run. Uh, Massimo is another one they consider bringing in for that role if they wanted to. Uh, Menzi was the sub, uh, came on 
for Ridley, had three touches. I'm a big fan of Will Snelling. I like what Snelling gives you defensively. He's, you know, and I think he's a player that sometimes you look at what he can't do as opposed to what he can do. And I think with Guelphie, who was top three in the being best and fairest last year, not in the side as a pressure forward for injury. Tip is still building back into that role. Uh, Davey and Menzi aren't quite giving us that. We didn't really don't have a dedicated pressure player in that forward line. And I think Snelling is that guy, and he he's one I would pick. And then I guess with the um with Brian one, I guess every week we're saying Nick Brian and he doesn't get picked. But <laughs> so I, I don't think that that'll happen. But it's, I, I, I still maintain that you need to reward a player for good form at some point in time. You know, you could say, yes, you want him to improve on this, improve on that. And we want a guy who you know, come in and be ready and not go out of the side. But, you know, the bloke's there as a ruckman and he's getting his hand on it a fair bit, you know. I still think this, the style matchup works. I think this week in particular with McInerney being a tall leaping player, it really works. So, yeah, won't say this. So question without notice. The game's sort of that primetime slot on Saturday. We'll, we'll wrap this up in a sec because we've got on a bit. But um, Saturday night game... What is the headline that you want to read on Sunday morning on the on the back page of the, the Herald Sun? Oh, I'll give you a chance to think. I'll give you mine to start with. So I want to see Lion Tamers, Baby Bobbers, hold Lions Trio, Goalless. I'm talking about Danaher, Cameron, maybe throw in Hipwood. <laughs> I think it's pretty unlikely, but... <laughs> But um, it'd be something I'd love to see. So I'm sure that you've probably got something better than me. But um, yeah, you, you get up to watch the Sunday footy show and you you got the paper. Uh, yeah. Whose whose photo do you want to see on the back? Uh, you know, given that we've had a win or something like that. Oh, if we uh, if you're asking me if I had all possibilities available to me, uh, the the headline I would see would be. Heard returns. Injury cross at the Bombers. They pull out the great man. They, they fly him in late and he stars and wins us the game. Uh, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen. So I think I'll uh, I'll settle for maybe injuries not as bad as first thought. Reed and Jones miss a couple of weeks. I think really, we talked about this a little bit before the pod. Reed, Jones and Cox I'd love to have got 10 games into those guys this year, just really for the development going forward. You know, this week's the perfect example of not having Reed fit with the two injuries there. It's just been perfect for him to come in. Um, yeah, Jonesy, again, just needs – Weedman needs a partner up forward, a permanent partner up forward. BZT needs a partner down back. It's all about partnerships, I think. Lloyd and Lucas, a great partnership, worked together for a long time. They knew – what each other was doing, and I think that's where the good sides in, over an extended period have. They have those partnerships in those key position areas. Partly the reason why I'm so big on Brian and Draper as a combo, they have those combos together. They work well. They know each other, and that fosters improvement and then wins in big games. All right. Well, let's look forward to watching the game then and hopefully watching a, watching a win and seeing us um... – yeah, take take off one of the ones that we're maybe not expected to beat. So with that, go the Dons. Go Bombers.